Section 60 of Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts by David Alec Wilson. Charlie Darwin or the Lady Gibbon. Part 14. The Last Chapter. By May 1893, when Charlie had been about a year in her master's house, he had been about two and a half years in the same station, in charge of the same district, doing the same kind of work. The average for the province was a few months. So he should not have been surprised that he was then, on the shortest possible notice, transferred from where he was in the Sitang Valley in the east of Burma to a district with headquarters on Ramri Island, off the western coast. What to do with Charlie in such a hurry, with such a destination, would have been a troublesome question if she had not by that time become independent and able to support herself. It was not that any Gibbon Romeo had found her out. That happy fate had been impossible in the time allowed. If, indeed, we had continued to dwell there in the woods for another year or so, it was the confident expectation of the neighboring gardeners that some enterprising young Gibbon would have recognized her charms and appreciated the combined advantages of freedom and plenty. An official post with abundance to eat and drink and nothing to do. Truly, it was the very kind of soft job that Mr. Kipling's heroes roamed the world to find. Yes, assuredly, the gardeners were right. We would have had another civilized Gibbon very soon. Already somebody was considering on what terms, as to housing and settlements, the managers of the Rangoon Zoo might obtain the family. But like many another spinster, Charlie lost her chance through no fault of her own. We could not stay, and when suddenly the time came to go, Charlie was ready. She had won her independence differently. It came about in this way. Our house was on the edge of the town. There was nothing beyond it but some Buddhist temples and the rifle range. The way to both these places of resort was the road by the side of which, among the trees, Charlie finished her morning exercises and sat watching for my return, impatient for breakfast. So she was soon noticed by the people, policemen, volunteers, or villagers, who were often passing about that very time, and they never failed to stop and watch her. Monkeys are not uncommon, but a gibbon is a rare and popular sight on the plains of Burma. Few of the passers-by had ever seen so human a beast before, not even the Hindu policemen who hold monkeys in special honor. Of all the tribes who have both arms and legs, including ourselves, the gibbons appear to be proportionately the strongest in the arms. Those of Malaysia in particular, called agile by naturalists, are among the record leapers of the world, clearing at a fling a space beyond the capacity of perhaps any other being without wings. Darwin and Wallace would explain this by pointing out that they are the prey of animals that lie in wait to catch them as they pass from tree to tree, so that those of them who touch the ground the least would be the most likely to survive. The same tendencies are visible in Burma, and though Charlie's immediate kindred are not such record-makers as her cousins in Malaysia, they are fine performers, and so is she. 
by slow degrees, not all at once, the little acrobat in black velvet tights became aware of the friendly attention of the, of the observing crowds. It was a visible addition to the pleasure of both sides to be conscious of each other. The people began to applaud. When they saw her enjoy their applause, they applauded the more. She seemed so like a prima donna or actress that I have never since then made the common mistake of supposing the little airs of a woman on a public scene to be affectation. Once, in particular, I was watching her unobserved when she seemed, in her excitement, to have forgotten for the moment breakfast and everything else. She was apparently resting when first I caught sight of her, and she did not see me. At any rate, she was sitting with her back to the audience, looking over her shoulder at intervals to make sure that they were still waiting. Then she began to go bounding round the tree. After a little of this, she went in a corkscrew direction upwards, and when high up, flung herself to a neighboring tree. The feat was received with a burst of applause, in the midst of which she went whirling round and came to the top of the tree, and sat there on the airiest pinnacle, surveying the admiring crowd with complacency. This happened oftener and oftener. When I was transferred, all sorts of people offered to take her. So, first, she went to see how she liked the surroundings of the house of the sergeant instructor of the volunteers. Her subsequent history was reported thus. The sergeant's house adjoined the barracks of the Hindu Sikh policeman, who had been the most appreciative of her many admirers. And Charlie was not a chained monkey, but a free woman, though a Lilliputian. It soon appeared that she now needed more admiration than any one man could give, she took less and less notice of the sergeant and his wife, and stayed more and more in the trees beside the barracks, and at last it was agreed that she was to be common property, while all were there together, but that the Hindus were to take her when they marched away. And that was how Charlie became a camp follower and the pet of a battalion. We next heard of her in 1897, when a native officer called upon us in Tungu, expressly to give us news of her. She was then with her battalion in Rangoon, and as popular as ever. The details he gave slipped from memory all but one, which he repeated in English, addressing my wife. Carly, so they pronounced her name. Carly is now very fat. In later years I tried to find out more, but failed. These little people do not live long. There was a rumor that she died in 1905 and doubtless she did die, her body returning to dust and air and her perplexed spirit as her Hindu friends, and indeed her old master too, would agree to say, subsiding into the great ocean of being that floods the world. Like foam that from the sea comes white, so come all living things to light. Like foam returning to the sea, so having been, they cease to be. End of section 60